Welcome to the Cornerstone Podcast, where we discuss all things marketing, business, and mindset. I'm your host, Tanika. Let's get stuck into the episode. Hello, welcome back. Thanks for coming back and joining me for this episode. Today's episode is number one in my startup series, and it's called How to Structure Yourself and What Does That Even Mean? I, like I said in the last podcast, wanted to do a foundational series where we go through sort of episode by episode a different subject that we're able to get really in deep about and hopefully remove a lot of blocks for you if you're wanting to start a business. If you already run a business, hopefully you're going to learn a lot along the way, especially if you're a small business person, person, small business owner. (laughs) Um, And even if you're running like a medium to large company, there's going to be something in here that you can learn from. Uh, And I obviously want to learn from you guys. So please, follow me on Instagram or, I don't know, email me your feedback on the various episodes. And, yeah, let's get into it. So structuring is what we're talking about today. I have to give a legal disclaimer to begin with that I am not an accountant. I do have a Master's in Business Administration that gives me no rights other than to, like, talk about financial management to talk about, you know, what structure is going to be good for you. This isn't in any way advice. This is literally just general information. Um, And really the first thing that I want to say is find a good professional. Um, I've been through in my short career four accountants, four accountants, and it wasn't until our one of our larger companies got an, a CFO and I had him like on speed dial and was able to ask him questions every day. Did I actually get a proper understanding of the intricacies of the structures and taxation and what all that meant? Um, and that's being brutally honest. Um, it was, it's confusing. And I've spoken to so many people that have these great business ideas and branding and la la la. But the thing that's literally holding them back is they just simply don't know anything to do with structuring themselves and tax. And they get really upset because they're like, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to register for Bass and la la la. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of demystify that maybe a little bit. Hopefully it helps. Um, I'm going to film another episode down the track with Sean, our CFO. Um, So he's obviously going to have a lot more knowledge in the more advanced areas. This is just a really basic non-jargoned version so that hopefully you can get a bit more of an understanding of the different business structures and the key differences between them. Okay, so I'm obviously talking about Australian structures. Um, Obviously, there's going to be a lot of crossover to really any Western country. Um, If you're in a Commonwealth country like Canada or the UK, it's probably very similar because we have similar legal systems. If you're in the States, I'm sure there's a lot of similarities as well. So in Australia, there's four common types of business structures. There's sole trader, 
which most people understand. It's just you. You're just personally trading as johnsmith.com. <laughs> um, there's a company which is a little more complex and it does protect your liability to an extent because the company is a separate entity from you. Uh, it's just a total separately taxed entity and operating entity. Partnership is two sole traders stuck together. Um, in a partnership, you can what's called distribute income. So you can take certain amounts of income each um, or losses as well. And a trust. So a trust is where you have a trustee and they're the person that's responsible for that trust's operations. Then you've also got beneficiaries of the trust, which we'll talk about in a little more detail soon. So we'll start with the easy ones. Uh, let's first talk about sole traderships. So it's it's the simplest form of a business structure. It's really straightforward and it's relatively easy and inexpensive to set one up. Uh, in a sole tradership, you're legally responsible for all the aspects of your business, including debts, losses, day-to-day -day business decisions, everything. Um, if you're looking to sort of get into a sole tradership, you have to consider a few things. It's obviously simple to set it up, and it does give you full control of assets and business description uh, decisions. Sorry, not descriptions. And uh, it's, yeah, generally a really low cost structure because you can use your own individual tax file number at tax time. So if you go to an accountant or you go and do your tax online, you simply would just put in your earnings on your personal tax return of the business and be taxed there. And so remembering that personal tax works in different thresholds. So let's say you have a job earning $18,000 a year and then you have a business earning another $18,000 a year. That means that you'll be taxed on the first tax threshold because your total income is under $40,000 a year. Most people that have worked in Australia will kind of know off the top of their heads what those roundabout thresholds are and so that's just something to think about uh, if you are getting to quite a large income with your business as a sole trader and maybe you also work or maybe you don't but if you are getting to those larger amounts of income you're going to be taxed at a personal income rate so if you're making, you know, $100,000 in your business and that's not all profit, that includes all the cost of your products and all your marketing costs. So you might only be profiting a couple of thousand dollars by the end of it, but it doesn't matter because it's, pers it's considered personal income. So you're still going to be taxed anyway. So that's a massive downfall of a sole tradership. Um, it also, like I was just explaining, doesn't allow you to split the profits or losses between yourself and anyone else because it's you're, you're the sole trader. So you can't say, oh, well, Bob was working with me, so he should be able to take some of this profit so that I don't have to take as much tax or take on as much tax. But that's not how sole traderships work. It's just you. So 
Um, that is the sort of downside. You have to keep all your financial records as well for five years as a sole trader. Um, so obviously it's got its pros being low cost, but it's got its cons as well. So a lot of the time people will start out as a sole trader because it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, estimate sometimes if you're a really basic startup and you really have no idea what your goal income is or anything like that, it's a great way to just get started. So that way you can sort of set up a brand. You can, you can register a business name, um, and trade under your sole tradership. So that would sort of look like, uh, you would have johnscarpentry.com and you have that as your registered business name, but the actual trading entity is John. And when you're asked for the entity's ABN, it's John's ABN that you'd be providing. So another question that often comes up when we talk about sole traderships is, can you hire people as a sole trader? And you absolutely can. Um, you can have subcontractors, and you can have, you can hire people. So I guess it depends what industry you're in. And it would be, if you're at a point where you're running a sole tradership and you need to employ others, you absolutely need advice from an accountant. Um, even better, you would get advice from a tax planner. So not all accountants are tax planners. It's it's better to have, well, I can't really say that, can I? Find an accountant that is both, an accountant and a tax planner, so that they can help you structure what's going to be best for you and let you know what your obligations as an employer are as well because you then take on quite a lot of responsibility for those people that you are hiring. So that's one person. Let's talk about two people or more, a partnership. So it's made up of two people or more, a lot of people, who distribute the income of a business or the losses of a business between all of themselves. So there's a couple of different types of partnerships. There's a general partnership, and that's where all the partners are equally responsible for the management of the business, and they have unlimited liability for the debts and the obligations that can come from that business. Then there's a limited partnership. So that's made up of, of general partners, uh, but their liability is limited. So it's limited to the amount of money that they, are, they have contributed into that business or that partnership. Uh, limited partners are usually passive investors. They don't really have a role in the day-to-day -day business. They've just provided money. And then there's an incorporated limited partnership or an ILP. That's where partners of an ILP can have limited liability for the debts of the business. However, under the ILP, there must also be a general partner with unlimited liability. So there has to be at least one person that will take on all of the liability of that partnership if the business fails or can't meet the obligations or trades insolvent. <laughs> um, so the general partner or partners have to become liable for the shortfall if that happens. Um, you know, I don't, 
I feel like there's probably better ways to do it. Uh, I'm not an accountant. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't, like I said in the previous episode, I've worked in um, financial sectors and I in uh, I've seen a lot of different entities and I've literally never seen an incorporated limited partnership. I've seen the other two working and functioning, but yeah. So I... If I have an accountant that's listening to this, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty much happy to say that that's not super um, common. So if you're looking to set up a partnership, you've got a friend, you want to start a business, this might actually be a good option for you. So the pros are that they're super easy to set up, just like a sole tradership. Uh, You just basically need the partnership agreement in writing, and then you register that partnership. Um, You don't have a whole lot of reporting requirements with a partnership. Uh, And you do require a separate tax file number for the partnership itself and a separate ABN number for that partnership. So you share the control of the management of the business with your partners and however you've decided to do so. Um, You don't pay income tax on the income earned. So each partner pays tax on the share of the net partnership income that each person receives. So the net is not, don't confuse the net income with the gross income. So you only earn the profit or the net income and you only take your share of that. So if there's two partners and you've made $100,000, but $50,000 of that was business expenses, you've then netted $50,000. And then at the end of the tax year, you would split that half-half with each partner if you if you were an equal partnership. You might have an agreement where you take 75%, and so then the profit will be dispersed differently. Um, you do require, you are required to lodge a tax return every single year with the ATO. Um, and as a partnership, you're responsible for your own superannuation. And then finally enters GST. If you have a turnover, so not a net profit, but a turnover of $75,000 or more each year, you must register for GST and you must meet your obligations um, with that. So in our example before, with the $100,000 uh, turnover, that partnership would need to be registered for GST. And essentially that's a that's good ser- goods, services, goods and services. Oh my goodness, I'm getting tongue tied. <laughs> goods and services tax and it's 10%. So um, if you buy, yeah, we'll discuss GST later. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, so, and just like a asterisk, individual states and territories govern the partnership laws. So there may actually be a slight difference to things that I've said here if you're living in different states. I don't actually think, I've just kind of covered the fundamental side of things. I don't think any any states differ, but uh read up on your own state's laws. If you're thinking about registering a partnership, make sure you read 
what you need to read. Um, and I'm going to link in the show notes or underneath this podcast all of the links that you would need for every single one of these entities. So they're all .gov.au articles and um, they are literally on the business government website. I would, I mean, I guess I am giving you secondhand information, but just be wary of, um, there's lots of businesses that will advertise on Google and say, register a business name and get it in 24 hours. You don't need to go through companies like that. You can literally register it directly with the government. So what I'll link you to is those direct government links. Okay. Take a breath. (laughs) So the next structure is a company. So a company is a business structure and it's a separate legal entity. So our CFO always gets me in trouble when I say it like this, but this is just the way it makes sense in my head that a company is like just another person. He's always like, that's not correct. But like, I don't mean it. I don't mean it literally. I just mean that like it helps me th- separate it out. So there's me, there's Bob, there's John, and then there's the company. And I just sort of think about that like another, another person, another entity. Um, so that's different from the sole trader or the partnership because that's you. You're trading in both of those circumstances. A company is its own standalone person, entity. I'm going to, uh, from now on, I'm going to use the word entity because I'll get in trouble if I say person. Um, so that's, that's the main difference. Think about it like that. So as a member of a company, you're not liable in your capacity as just a member for the company's debts. Um, Your only financial obligation is to pay the company any amount unpaid on your shares if you're called on to do so. So you might have a 10% shares, 10% of the shares of a company, and if the company needs that money for its shares and asks for it back, you have to pay that back to the company. However, we're talking about our own legal entities or setting up our own structures here. So you would likely be the director of the company. And so that's the person who directs the company in all of its training and its decisions and manage. Well, not always. You can have silent directors, but we won't get complicated here. Um, (laughs) So a director may be held personally liable if they're found to be in breach of their legal obligations or if they've gone as a guarantor um, for any of the business debts. So really simply, most of the time, banks and things like that won't actually give a company a loan on its own. It will require a security for that loan for the director to go as a guarantor, meaning that the director would sign that if anything happened to the debts or that the company couldn't pay, that they personally will take on that debt. That's what guarantees mean. Um, In that case, obviously, as the guarantor, if the company fails and has to close up, you're then going to be liable for that debt. Um, 
companies are expensive to set up. Um, I wouldn't myself term them complicated to set up. Essentially, most of the time, an accountant will take care of the setup for you. And these days, most of the time, they'll they'll guide you on how exactly to set up a company bank account. And they'll also usually connect you into like a bookkeeping software like Xero or Myob or something like that. Um, however, if, if you're not – what I would honestly say is if you're wanting to run a company, take – a bookkeeping course at least um, or speak to someone that like I said before is is an expert in the, a tax planner that can really thoroughly explain to you what the entity does how it works what you need to do what your obligations are da 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 um, yeah so let's go through the pros and cons of this one um, oh sorry I probably need to say one more thing the company officers and directors have legal legal obligations and all those legal obligations are found in the corporations act 2001 um and the people like the delegated legislation is to the australian securities and investments commission so that's most of the time just abbreviated to asic so when you actually register your company you're registering it through asic and there's the legislation, which obviously was passed by Parliament, called the Corporations Act, but ASIC actually enforces that legislation. Um, I forget what I was saying. Anyway, that's just, you didn't even know that. So there's, so there's obligations like you can't trade insolvent and a whole bunch of other stuff in that act. So uh, it's probably worth a read. Uh, there's probably a lot of also abbreviated versions of the Corporations Act where people just sort of point out the main stuff. Maybe I could do a podcast on it. Um, but, yeah, familiarise yourself with it if you are hell-bent on incorporating yourself. So it's a separate legal entity, like I explained. It's obviously a more complex business structure to start and run. Um, it has a higher setup cost and running cost to other structures and yeah it requires obviously like I said that you understand the Corporations Act um, however it means that the business operations are controlled by a director and owned by shareholders which can be helpful um, in fundraising and things like that. Company members have limited liability or none sometimes like I sort of explained above. Um, and it means that the business or the money that the business earns, it belongs to the company, not the individuals. So that's very helpful when it comes to tax planning. Um, it does require still you need to do a company tax return um, and lodge that with the ATO. Uh, and you also have to pay an annual fee to ASIC every year for having a company. Um, and the directors have to complete a declaration of solvency, meaning that they have money. They are operating not with – hang on, let me explain that better. They're operating at a profit. They're not operating on purpose with a loss. Um, and, yeah, you get a, a, also a wider access to capital as well. So – um, that's obviously a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, and again, the GST 
registration is if you earn over $75,000 or more. Um, and your tax rates in a company are very differently structured to an individual. So the nice thing about this, I suppose we can go back to our example that we had before. If John earns personally $100,000 a year, that's taxed to him personally. And then he might also be a director of a company that earns $200,000 a year. That company, profit, loss, whatever, that money isn't his, it's the company's. So they're two separate entities. Even though he might be the director and he might be doing the work for his own company, it's a separate entity to him. So there's a separate tax return. There's separate books kept, separate finances. And it's important to do it that way because people often get into trouble for accidentally mixing the two. The company is the company and the person is the person. So if you do run a company, don't get into the trap of sort of mixing those two finances together. But there's also a lot of upside to having your entities split that way. Um, yeah, so I will quickly go over, now that we've spoken about companies, over a trust. So trusts are interesting. They actually started back in the um, English days where there were men, you know, tossed off to war on their horses and um, they'd be knights or whatever and they'd own property and a house and they'd have a wife and some kids and they'd be told by the king, go off to war. And so they did and they died. And then the king would sweep in and take the property back because the, the man didn't exist anymore. And so they instituted this legal entity called a trust so that the knight or whatever could set up a trust and his properties were owned by the trust. And when he then got pushed off to war and he died, no one could touch the trust because it was a standalone entity. Um, now, trusts have obviously evolved a lot since then and there's many different types of trusts. Um, a discretionary trust is probably the most common and we'll just talk about that in this podcast. We probably need like 14 episodes on trusts and I need to get Sean on here to sort of give you the rundown for each one. Um, but there's some really awesome benefits of a trust. But again, the downfalls of a trust are that they can be expensive to set up. Um, they aren't... I feel like the hardest part about trust is just knowing how they work, which is not super complicated, but um, you do need to obviously further upkeep different books as it's a new separate entity as well. Um, you're required to have what's called a formal trust deed, and that outlines kind of the rules for how the trust operates. And most accountants, when um, setting up a trust, will have a template for you they're ready to go and they just sort of input some different uh, information and that's sort of your trustee in a box type thing. Um, and it's also required that the trustee, so the trustee is the, it's kind of like a director in a way. Um, it's the person that, that's responsible for delegating the tasks of the trust and making sure that the trust is working according to the trust deed. Um, 
anyway, the trustee has to undertake a formal yearly administrative tasks. Um, so, yeah, if you operate your business as a trust, the trustee is legally responsible for those operations. Um, a trustee of a trust can actually be a company, just to confuse you a little bit more. But, um, like, that's how I personally run my finances is we have a company um, who has a person as the director and then uh, there is a trust and that company is the trustee for that trust. That is probably the most elaborate way that you can do it. Um, it can obviously get so much more complex. It just depends what's going to fit you. But those four are sort of like the main basic ones. Um, hopefully that has cleared up sort of some ideas on what you can do. Uh, if you've got more money, if you've got assets in the business, if you are wanting to keep your income separate, look into a company or a trust structure. If you're really just starting out and you want something super basic, super inexpensive, and you just want to start, I definitely suggest taking a look at sole traders or a partnership if you've got someone else with you. Um, that is the crux of it, my friends. So let me know if you have any questions on Instagram or emailing me uh, and I am excited to get on to the next episode. See you then. If you got some value from today's episode, I would love it if you could screenshot wherever you're listening to it on and share it on your social media. If you're sharing it on Instagram, don't forget to tag me at cornerstoneprojects underscore. That's at cornerstoneprojects underscore. And don't forget to subscribe or follow so you don't miss next week's episode. Thanks a lot, guys. See you next time.